welcome back and thank you very much for sticking around. We seem to be having a few technical glitches, but we hope that we'll be able to overcome this storm as well. Let's introduce you to our guest for tonight. We do have Sheikh Abdullah Katir Manzangosi. He's the leader from the Gauteng Muslim Shura Council. He's a scholar and a community leader. Sheikh, good evening to you and welcome. Thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us. Welcome. Thanks, 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 Sheikh. Thanks a lot. Also joining us on the line is another guest who is no stranger to the program. She has been with us throughout the years, and I say years is in plural. Umama She has been joining us, and we always appreciate such people who always give us our time or their time and share them with us. Now we do have Mamukuli Zipeta, who's a member of the 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 High Faith. She joined us also on the line. Mamukuli, good evening to you, and welcome. Thank you very much for coming to talk to us. Good evening, Naya. Good evening to your guests and the listeners. Thank you very much, ma'am. Also, we do have Pandit Lokesh M. Maharaj. Pandit Maharaj is the head of the religious committee of the South African Hindu Mahasabha. Pandit, good evening to you and welcome. He's no stranger, by the way. He, too, has been joining us throughout the years. Thank you very much, Pandit. Welcome and thank you very much for uh, coming to talk good to e- us. Good evening, Naya, and good evening to the guests and listeners as well, and thank you for this opportunity. Thank you very much. We're going to jump right in because we have a, a lot of time wasted through the technical glitches. Let's begin with you, uh, uh, Sheikh. We're talking about the issue of surrogacy. I understand surrogacy has in it the issue of fertilization, artificial insemination, and so forth. But our focus for now is your religious take. If the Quran or any of the traditional documents that give us guidance have anything to say about surrogacy as far as the Muslim community is concerned. Sheikh? Well, thanks, thanks again for having me. The, the Quran does not have anything explicit, neither implicit, uh, about surrogacy. And um, uh, neither does the, the teaching of Prophet Muhammad, uh, peace be upon him, and all the other prophets. So what happens is if this comes out as comes up as uh, something that is discussed, of course, in modern-day context, where we derive all sorts of rulings based on what we have, the material that we have. And uh, to maybe a short answer would be the Islam in its totality uh, does to seem, seems to, to have a problem with surrogacy uh, with many other examples that I will provide as we go through. But Islam itself... Uh, though there is, of course, a minority of uh, modern-day scholars that have uh, given uh, permission, but with certain uh, conditions, uh, which uh, we will discuss also in the show. But Islam in general is, um, uh, does not approve of surrogacy. When, when you say Islam does not oppose surrogacy, Sheikh, is this something that is textual? Or is this just an agreement amongst adherents? Well, there seems to it, it, it opposes it factually because of uh, many things that seem to uh, come up. You know, when it comes to the laws of a family, and uh, uh, one particular thing is that Islam is very uh, strict when it comes to the preservation of lineage. So anything that seems to <coughs> present uh, an ambiguity in that in, in, in when it comes to lineage, it becomes problematic. And when I'm talking about lineage here, I'm talking about both the mother and the father. 
But then again, if you are concerned with matters of, well, generational authenticity, as it were, why would you then say there is no problem with surrogacy? Because surrogacy is a direct I think you didn't hear me. I said Islam has a problem. It is opposed to surrogacy. Oh, my problem. Okay, okay. I, I understand. Yeah. I understand. Okay, it is <laughs> okay. opposed to. Okay, again, so let's, let's, let's follow that one up there, uh, Sheikh. Is there a text that supports that? Is this something that is textual again? Or is this something that is theological and philosophical? It's it's more jurist. Uh, it's more of a, a law thing. Um, not you know, Islam has a a, a uh, you know there's a way in which we look at the theological matters and there's a way in which we look at law uh, legislative matters. So this one falls under the legislative matters. So I wouldn't you know when things that uh, are theological are things that we would say if you do them they take you out of Islam out of the fold. However, then we have legislative things, which uh, not all of them are things that will take you out of Islam. However, they are <coughs> considered prohibited. So this one, the legacy will fall under the, the legislative, the law. I, I understand that part there, Sheikh. When you say it, it, it's under legislation, where does this legislation come from? Does it come from the writings of the Prophet Muhammad, or does it come elsewhere? It comes out. It comes out of the Quran, and it comes out of, uh, the, of course, the, the advices of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and all the other prophets. It's not. It's not something that is thumbs up by scholars or anything of that sort. However, the guidelines are well stipulated within the Quran and the teachings of Prophet Muhammad. All right, we're going to take a break right now, there, Sheikh. And when we come back, I'd like you to share with us those texts from the Quran where it explicitly or sometimes even implicitly suggest that surrogacy is not permissible shortly after this. Facts of Faith on SAFM Welcome back and thank you very much for tuning in and listening into the program at 29 minutes before 8. You are listening to SFM Facts of Faith, we're together at least until 8 o'clock. Let's bring in again the Sheikh, Sheikh Abdul Katir Manjangos. The Sheikh, do share with us the text from the Quran that give you the impression that surrogacy is forbidden or at least not permissible. SABC News, independent and impartial. Facts of Faith on SAFM. All right, let's try that again. We seem to be having a lot of glitches today, and I have glitches on my side as well. Again, I do apologize for this. Do I have the shake, the pundit, yes, yes, and I'm the yes, pastor yes. on the line? Yes, I'm here on the line. Thank you. Mahmoud Seta, can you hear me? Yes. All right, shake, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Yes, I'm here, sir. All right, all right. I'm going to try and, and do run through this as quickly as possible. Pandit, could you please share with us your text. Okay, so so let me firstly say that you know Hinduism 
um, is a very liberal religion concerning assisted reproduction uh, and surrogacy. Uh, it agrees with most assisted reproduction techniques, but it demands that the oocyte and the sperm used in the procedure uh, is better if it came from a married couple. Uh, from the many stories that are expressed in Hindu texts, it becomes clear that the scriptures uh, have indicated the moral and ethical problems faced uh, by the rapid advances of infertility technology. Right? There is no doubt that having a child is at the forefront of a Hindu couple's duty. Uh, and the philosophies have been give, have, uh, that have been given uh, have shown some evidence that different techniques may be tried to help the uh, couple conceive. So though uh, assisted reproductive techniques uh, was not known in ancient times, there are examples uh, that are cited which demonstrate that the ancient sages uh, understood the problems of infertile couples and they justified treatments outside natural means of conception. So, for example, the foundational story of Hinduism, uh, which is the Mahabharata, written some 2,000 years ago, advises on the acceptance and universality of all efforts to increase uh, fertility, including extraordinary enterprises. So Hindus, uh, for example, in ancient society, had a process that was called niyoga. So niyoga simply means delegation. And so in ancient Hindu society, it was a, the practice of forming a temporary alliance to produce a child if the husband was either impotent or dead. So basically, Hinduism has no problem with uh, any form of assisted reproduction, uh, neither does it have any problem with surrogacy. Hello? I understand. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Pandit. Let's bring in uh, Sheikh uh, Manjangos. Sheikh, your, your, your take as a Muslim community. I, I mixed my cups there. Your take as a Muslim community. Yeah, well, as, as I said, uh, in Islam, I mean, traditional uh, surrogacy is completely uh, unacceptable. And uh, one of the reasons, of course, being what I've mentioned earlier, that uh, the lineage, uh, preservation of lineage is at the fore front of uh, one of the main principles of Islam. And, uh, you know, we find in, in, in also in the Quran that uh, it's very explicit that none can be, uh, you know, mother except the one that gives birth. So, true that, I'm, of course, I'm talking about traditional surrogacy, which is uh, when, you know, it's the, 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 the people are not married. It's problematic uh, to, to the core. Uh, we also find that uh, in the Quran, you know, it, the, the, the child, you know, Allah that gives the child, whether it's male or female, and for some people, he, he gives them both male and female, and, you know, he also says that he makes some people barren, and uh, that, you know, you, we try all means within a marriage to make, uh, you know, the, the reproduction, however, it, it is forbidden to go outside of marriage. With all, whatever means that you are trying to do, it cannot be done outside of marriage. So meaning the, 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 the sperm of, a, uh, of the husband can only go through the, 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 the wife. <clears throat> because Islam in its, in its nature is, has a problem, a big problem with, with fornication. Uh, and fornication in Islam is a wide 
it's not it's not just you know the the penetration however fornication it's it's any illicit or unbecoming interaction between uh, unmarried male or female and of course the core of it being the sperm lending in uh, you know, the, the 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 egg of an unmarried or unrelated through marital bond, and that's problematic in Islam. I, I understand you're talking about fornication, and my, my understanding could be incorrect, but we do have plurality in Islam. And when we mm-hmm. say plurality, we mean the man is able to have children and be married to more than just one wife. When one yes. wife is unable to conceive, and then the other wife gives birth on behalf of the wife, is that also not permissible? There, that in that is, situation where the people are already married, that cannot be categorized as fornication. fornication. Definitely, definitely. So you have several scholars allowing surrogacy between co-wives. Uh, of, of the same husband. And the argument here is, of course, as you say, that the sperm ultimately is ending or is landing in the womb, which is already permissible for it to, to land. So in that case, there is that uh, group of scholars who have looked at it from that perspective and they've given it permission from that. So with me, when I say um, in, within marriage context, I'm also, you know, putting the umbrella, of course, of polygyny and everything that surrounds it. One, one of your patriarchs in Islam, Abraham, had a woman by the name of Hagar, yes. who, to whom they were not married. But there was a, a baby born to Hagar, and that was a form of surrogacy. The story goes that Sarah, who was the wife at the time, requested that Hagar have a baby by the your patriarch, Abraham, and that happened. But then, later on, the, the baby or child born through Hagar became a thorn in the flesh of Sarah. Was it not surrogacy? And there was no matrimony between Hagar and Abraham there, was there? Okay. There was. Okay, that, that is, that is a, a very good point that you bring in. However, in Islam, we consider, we consider uh, Hagar uh, and Sarah both legitimate wives of Prophet Abraham. So we do not uh, consider uh, uh, Hagar outside or anything of that sort. He is a wife, a legitimate wife of Abraham, just as Sarah was the legitimate wife of Abraham. So the sons, both of them being Ishmael and uh, Isaac, coming from the respective wives, they are both legitimate in our, in our scripture. If that were the case, why then was one wife able to instruct one wife to be chased away? Why did Hagar have to leave and cross mountains and rivers and go far, far away? Why did Abraham have to leave his wife and go visit his son Ishmael from time to time? Muslims believe, and the tradition goes, that Abraham would visit Hagar to see his son. Why was that the case if they were both equally wives? Well, it's not, it's not a matter of him. It's just like how any man in a polygamous arrangement will go and visit one wife and be with the other wife. So maybe now in contemporary times it's easy because I can see my wife, you know, the, the one wife on Monday and the other wife on Tuesday. But however, with Ibrahim and his travel between Palestine and uh, 
and uh, uh, Mecca, of course, it took a number of days before you, you know, you could see. But he wasn't, uh, Hagar or Sarah was not chased by anyone. This was just an arrangement that Abraham had with his wife. That one, like, you know, in the case of all the days in the context of South Africa, one wife in Joburg and one wife in Durban. So it would take some time for me before I see the wife in Durban. Likewise, it would take some time for me to, to see. But the, the, it's, it's not Hagar or Sarah chasing the other one. I'm, of course, I'm referring to Islamic terms. If, you, if you're drawing it from a biblical scriptures, then that's a different story. However, in Islamic or Quran or even the teachings of Prophet Muhammad, these are both legitimate wives. And Ibrahim was going between these houses visiting his wives, not uh, a matter of him being chased or anything of that sort. I, I understand, Sheikh, and perhaps one day, um, if you have the time, we might have to revisit this subject because the historicity of the facts right now seem to be somewhat shaky, but I do understand um, we will revisit that part of our conversation a bit later on. Let's bring in the Baha'i uh, con- context in the conversation. What does the Baha'i faith say about surrogacy? Hi, Naya. As we said even before, there is nothing from the writings of Baha'u'llah as the central figure regarding this. But as you might be aware, Baha'u'llah said the believers, whatever he had not written down, to refer to the center of his covenant. So uh, the Baha'i view, as we said even before, appreciates the value of the medical techniques which enable previously childless couples to enjoy blessings of family. However, there are limitations in, in certain things, like we talked last time about artificial insemination and all that. And generally, those limits are, are necessary, have been put necessary to preserve the dignity of the individual and the sanctity of the marriage. And coming specifically to surrogacy, the guidance the Baha'is have is very straightforward. It's like it is not permissible. The procedure of surrogacy is not permissible. But the reason for, not, for it not being permissible is based, like uh, I'll, I'll just read what, what the, the tradition guided us about says. The spiritual and social implications involved in the use of a surrogate, ma- of surrogate mother to provide for the gestation of the embryo, even when the embryo results from the fertilization of the husband's sperm and the wife's egg cell, which is later implanted into the womb of the third party, are too far-reaching for such a procedure to be permissible to behind. That's the clinical trade guidance that we have. Because when you look at it better, like like even in South African law, there's a time even a surrogate mother can cancel the the agreement at a certain time. And this is my interpretation of this spiritual and social implications. And also going back to, again, to what, again, Shodifan talked about preservation of the dignity of the individual. I'm even thinking about the mother, the third party who is carrying this baby and the sanctity of the marriage with the consenting or the two people, the couple, that one surrogacy. That's the long and short of it. 
Yeah, you've quoted, interesting enough, from a letter written on behalf of the Universal House of Justice to a National Spiritual Assembly. That was on the 25th of October, 1984. Yes. And, and that, my worry is, a group of people, a group of men who have taken a decision, and this is not something that comes from Abdul Baha or, 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 or Baha'u'llah. It, it is not a text that is written or interpreted by anyone appointed a holy appointed person. These are the universal. These are men in the universal house of justice. How can you take that as authority and yet our interest, most and foremost, is divine inspiration? <laughs> I, I, I understand exactly that question, and that's why this question was good. But now we're taking the this with basic. Yes, these are nine men which can be Nayan, Sheikh, and whoever, except me. <laughs> Fair enough. But these nine men are in an institution. We don't see them as nine men. Yes, as individuals, they are nine men. That one, can nobody can do But once they, they, what the decision they take, they take as that institution, the institution universal of justice falls within the covenant of Baha'u'llah and the believer. So... God forbid, if whatever decision they make like this one is nonsense. Uh, and now, this is a matter of faith and belief. <laughs> I would say, okay, <laughs> personally, my role on my obedience to the covenant of Baha'u'llah, I've obeyed. But if these men, really being men, were driven by being men, decided this is between them and God. The reason why I'm asking this is not only for purposes of, of identifying genders, my curiosity My curiosity is on their capacity to discern things that were discerned by Baha'u'llah. We can yeah. appreciate authority from Baha'u'llah because we, and we have an understanding and a belief that Baha'u'llah had a connection with the supernatural. We can yes. understand perhaps that when he appointed his son, uh, mm -hmm. there was some inspiration there as well. But these yes. men were elected by other human beings. There is Me no connection between them and inspiration whatsoever. Why do we base any authority on these men who will die and who have died and will continue to die without having had a claim of having a connection with the supernatural? Hmm. It, it does, I agree with you, Nai, but the point with them is the institution now, they will take that decision, the house of justice, not the individual. Yes, I know the decision that the institution has made has been influenced with it. So, like, I, this is my interpretation, actually, I'm not even qualified to say, because when I was looking, thinking, what does it mean, the spiritual and social implications, which they say this procedure uh, are far-reaching to to everyone involved. So I can't argue that, but my point as a Baha'i is that anything coming from that space, I see it is coming from the center of the covenant, not from the multiple people there. Okay. But I, I understand I, your question. I, I understand as well, Mamus, but thank you very much. All right, I want to open the lines once again for those of you who would like to join in the conversation. I'd like to hear what you have to say. It is, what, 11 minutes now before 8? 
For those of you who would like to join in the conversation, call us and tell us what you think about surrogacy. Remember, this is a conversation continuing from a conversation we had about artificial insemination. The number is to dial 011-714-2006. Again, 011-714-2006. If you prefer to send a WhatsApp text or WhatsApp voice note, you can send that to 0614-104-107, We're in conversation with our guests for tonight, and our guests are giving us perspective from the Baha'i faith, from the Muslim faith, and the Hindu faith. Pandit, let's talk about the issue now of the, the facts that prevail. We have statistically, ever since 2008, the statistics from 2018, beg your pardon, 2018, showing that we have surrogates or a requirement for surrogates, over 4,000 requirements and applications for all, that, for all those procedures, suggesting that humankind has reproductive problems which require the assistance of surrogates. Does yeah. the Hindu faith uh, uh, recognize this problem? Or does this problem not arise with Hindus? He uh, 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 has recognized this problem. Uh, in fact, that is why you'll find it's because of its <coughs> liberal attitude towards assisted reproduction. You'll find that India, for example, uh, is uh, one of the favorite destinations uh, for surrogacy. Uh, in fact, in 2002, surrogacy was co legally commercialized in India. Uh, it's part of the medical tourism. So, so the issue of infertility is something that has been recognized by Hindu scriptures, uh, you know, from ancient times. And there are many examples of uh, of, of different practices, different kinds of assisted uh, reproductive uh, techniques that took place. So there is no conflict between the uh, social religious mores and the assisted reproduction. Because we see this as an accepted form of treatment and not a violation of religious belief or personal freedom. Okay. So am I hearing you distinguishing between religion and medical treatment? No, we are saying that, uh, that, that, it, that, that taking medical treatment is not a violation of a person's religious belief. So, so we right. have no problems with Hindus having any medical form of treatment uh, to produce a child. <laughs> All right. I had requested initially that you share with us text to that effect to, to support your views. Were you able to share with us such text? Well, well see, the, the, in the Mahabharat, for example, uh, yes. there's a conversation that takes place between the king and his wife, in which yes. the king actually uh, uh, requests his wife to perform uh, a yoga. As I said, yoga earlier on when I, when I spoke, I said, is where you delegate another man to impregnate your wife. So this is a conversation that is recorded in the Mahabharata. And uh, the couple actually look at uh, the possibility of this, uh, you know, surrogacy. And they list other examples in the Mahabharata. There are other examples that they list uh, in the conversation. So, for example, the kings of Ayodhya in, in India. There, there was a king there that uh, was involved in surrogacy as well, where his wife had actually conceived... Uh, after relationships with a with a rishi, so you'll find that there are examples in the in in the scriptures of this yoga, which uh, in modern day terms is actually surrogacy. And there are many other examples. Uh, there's the example of a, of of a, a queen who who got a, a sage 
to impregnate her uh, widowed daughter-in-laws. Because you see, for, for, for Hindus, the most important thing is to have a progeny, is to have a child. Because there's a strong belief among Hindus that a child, when making the offerings to the ancestors, assists the ancestor to live a better life in the other world. So, so, so in order to produce that child, Hinduism is very liberal on the methods that one may use to produce those children. You see, the, because, so for example, uh, uh, assisted reproduction or, or having, taking on a, 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 a niyoga, a delegate husband, is regarded as a, a lesser of the two evils. So rather than not having children, one should rather perform niyoga, where you then produce a child, and the child then uh, keeps the lineage going. But there now, are conditions. So, for example, yeah. the, the, the niyog could, should be with family members. So, for example, uh, the king, whose wife was going to be involved in niyog, would probably do it with her brother-in-law. So, so it was within the lineage. Those are some of the conditions uh, that, that were placed uh, in ancient times in order to uh, overcome the issue of not having uh, children. Now, when I spoke to um, uh, the Sheikh, he raised a very pertinent issue in the issue of fornication, and then akin to that is adultery. Uh, is the Hindu faith not worried about such things? Well, well, they, 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 they are, they are, uh, uh, they are people, actually Hindus, who uh, believe that uh, uh, you know all these uh, artificial insemination by donor, etc., and surrogacy, etc., is uh, is adultery. Um, uh, uh, but uh, and others may have an issue, uh, you know, with the fact that there's an unknown donor. Uh, but even those people, you know, can coexist uh, with those who are in favor of of uh, this thing. See, as I said, uh, from a Hindu point of view, if one looks at what is dharma, what is duty, it is to produce a child. And so, one the argument that one can make is that, you know, having a child outside of the marriage is lesser of the two evils. So, yes, the issue of adultery comes into it, but I don't think it's such a big issue. Of course, in this day and age, uh, we, have the, we have the modern technology. What I'm referring to now is what happened in ancient times, and, and we need to be uh, careful that we do not impose, you know, our current standards and perceptions uh, of contemporary society on those ancient people. So this is what they did. I'm by no means suggesting that people go and do New York. I'm saying that the... Uh, different assisted forms of reproduction that we have today is the modern-day niyoga, and we have no problem with that. I'm not saying that we should go back to ancient practice of niyoga, where you find, uh, you know, where you encourage a kind of uh, adulterous behavior. I'm saying that we take, we, 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 we openly accept the modern-day form of niyoga, which is the IVFs and the ATRs and those kinds of things and surrogacy. You're, you're, you're quoting a very ancient, ancient practice, Nyoga. I'm wondering if it is something that is practiced in democratic states. I say this there, Pandit, because in South Africa, for example, we have something called the Ngena custom, which has been frowned upon for ages, or at least ever since the democratic era for years now. I'm wondering, mm -hmm. is this something that is practiced globally, even in democratic states? The Nioga you're referring to? Because I understand it to be a very examples, old, old practice. The examples that I'm giving 
mostly from the uh, Mahabharata era, uh, which is some 2,000 years ago. And it was practiced mainly in the royal families because it was absolutely uh, crucial for royal families to have heirs to take over the, the throne. So the examples that I'm giving you uh, are from the, the royal families. Uh, in fact, I'm not sure that New York would be readily accepted in democratic countries today. So effectively, you're bringing in yoga in this conversation is not helpful because it is not something that is currently practiced in democratic states or modern day no, states, not. correct? But, but, but what I'm saying is that the modern techniques that we have available to us today uh, is a modern day yoga. So it doesn't involve adultery, but it involves uh, maybe sperm donation. Uh, it may involve, uh, you know, surrogacy and that kind of thing. Um, uh, and again, but that's not something that is openly accepted by all Hindus. Hindus are not homogenous as far as, yeah. uh, you know, the modern yeah. uh, technologies are concerned. So, so but, but certainly there are a large percentage of them who would accept it and who would, uh, would use IVF, etc. to produce uh, children. All right. All right. We're going to conclude our conversation. I'll give my other guests the opportunity to give their closing remarks. We're talking, to a con- talking about a conversation that is supposed to be very simple, but has proven to be very complex, especially with faith communities. So I'm going to give my guests each 30 seconds to conclude. Let's begin with Sheikh. Sheikh, you get 30 seconds. Go ahead. Okay. I will close up with a quotation from the Quran, uh, which is when Allah says he gives male to who he wants and he, he gives a female to whoever he wills. And he gives both, and some people he gives both, male and female, and he makes parent some people. And he is the most wise and the most powerful. And with that, I want to say that uh, this is one of the reasons that Islam, dealing with, of course, the last part that I've mentioned here, that some people may become parent, which is why Islam puts so much reward or emphasis in taking care of orphans. So as you find that Prophet Muhammad said, the best home, is the one where an orphan is taken care of. So this, you know, speaks to the issue where you can adopt and raise the, ch- the, 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 the child and be rewarded for it. And, of course, by so doing, the uh, world can become a better place. But as for surrogacy, the traditional surrogacy is completely impermissible. And uh, just uh, the, 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 the full surrogacy let's, will let's leave only it right there, Sheikh. Sh- sh- my time is running out. I need to bring oh, in Mamun okay. as well with the 30 seconds. Mamun Sped, your closing remarks. Go ahead. Hi, Naya. Okay, my closing is that Baha'u'llah assures us that when you have a child, irrespective of born child, you are like raising his child. Also, the guidance you get from House of Justice assures us it's divinely guided. And it's not obligatory to have your biology, culture, and although it's a nice thing. So, but you can raise any child, as the Sheikh said, because you'll be raising a child of God. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you very much to all three of my guests. Ramukul is a member of the Baha'i faith, speaking on behalf of the Baha'i people. Sheikh Abdul Katir Mandlangos, learner from the Khaudai Muslim Shura Council, scholar and a community leader. Thank you, Upandit Lokesh and Maharaj. Head of the Religious Committee of the South African Hindu Mahasabha. Thank you. From me, Nayalu Pondona and the team, have a wonderful day, a wonderful evening, and a wonderful rest of your year. See you next year. Until then, Godspeed.